Good morning. It's uh, it's a Sunday, but that doesn't stop the, uh, <laughs> the never-ending revision for WSET Diploma Unit 3. Um, today we're going to be tackling the ginormous um, beast that is France, uh, but we're going to be doing it in... in um, sort of bite-sized chunks. I don't think that there's any value in, in just trying to, to prattle all the way through it. It's just far too big and complicated. So I'm going to try and break it down a little bit. Um, so a brief introduction just to start with, uh, just to get a little bit of um, a handle on, on history, impacts, challenges, that sort of thing. So broadly speaking, uh, Vines introduced to France uh, during um, during Roman times, brought in originally actually by the Greeks through Marseille, and uh, vines vines were originally planted in the south for easy access to to ports. Major expansion under the rule of Charlemagne, and in the Middle Ages, key export markets were established, particularly notably England, Scotland, Flanders, and and Holland. Um, market trade via major river systems and seaports was the key there. Uh, Paris, because of overland transport difficulties, they mostly took their wines from the accessible regions surrounding them, in other words, Auxerre, Chablis and the Loire. Between the 17th and 19th centuries, there was a massive expansion in wine export, notably from Bordeaux, and this is what led to the 1855 classification in the Medoc. Uh, this was assisted principally by Dutch engineers who were responsible for draining the marshes, um, which resulted in the free-draining gravelly soils uh, being available for, for viticulture. Bordeaux and nearby, nearby ports became key trading channels for wine destined for, for Northern Europe. And of course, we all know that there was a little bit of protectionism going on there as well. In other words, if it wasn't from Bordeaux, it wasn't going out of Bordeaux. So in terms of challenges, second half of the 19th century, there was a massive outbreak of powdery mildew, downy mildew, black rot, and of course, phylloxera. Uh, the industry only really recovered fully in the early part of the 20th century when solutions were found and, and obviously grafting onto American rootstocks was, was widely implemented. Between 1970 and 2010, like many other EU countries, uh, France implemented a huge uh, vine pool um, scheme and in the case of France approximately one third of the vines in France were were yanked up so notable notable size in uh, in in reduction in terms of geography France lies between 42 and 49 degrees north it's got a wide range of climates uh, in the north uh, northerly uh, in the north you've got um, a maritime climate influenced by the Atlantic uh, you've also got continental climates in the center and of course Mediterranean climates in the south with the exception of the south where of course it's extremely hot I'm thinking specifically here of, of places like um, southern Rhone and parts of the Languedoc in fact um, most of most of the French vineyards have been pl planted at high density and trellised usually with uh, replacement cane VSP. For organic farming, certified organic hectareage quadrupled in the decade uh, to 2017. So an enormous uptake of, of organic viticulture here. With regard to grape varieties, um, there is, of course, strong ties to individual regions, uh, 
with with in terms of what is grown where but in terms of uh, numbers of hectares planted uh, i'll give you a, a brief rundown of, of of volumes so merlot um both for aoc and igp production is is actually quite a long way ahead of everything else about 110,000 hectares planted of merlot followed by uni blanc with 80,000 hectares not forgetting that a huge chunk of that goes towards cognac production rather than wine production. Then on to the perhaps more well-known varieties for wine. Grenache Noir also comes in at about 80,000 hectares. Syrah, 62,000. Chardonnay, 50,000. Cabernet Sauvignon, 48,000. Cab Franc, 36,000. Carignan, 34,000. Pinot Noir, 30,000. Sauvignon Blanc, 28,000. So those are the sort of uh, top... 10 roughly. Uh, Winemaking of course varies region by region, chapitalization in cooler climates is not unheard of but as global temperatures rise and canopy management techniques have, have got immeasurably better this is happening uh, less and less. Uh, barrel maturation both large format and small format um, has been a long-standing tradition in parts of France but as with the global trend elsewhere um, the amount of new oak and the amount of time spent in oak is is gradually decreasing <clears throat> in a lot of places. There is um, a supporting uh, cooperage industry with a with a global reputation for quality that supports the um, uh, the production of barrels as well. You've also got large technical scientific uh, vitivini uh, institutions, notably those in Bordeaux and in Montpellier. Now, as far as wine law and regulations are concerned, it's governed by the uh, INAO, the Institut National de, des Appellations d'Origine, founded in 1935. And, and this has kind of shaped the way that the French wine industry has, has evolved. It was fundamental in the creation of the AOC system and from 2009 in the IGP system as well. So in brief terms, AOC is a commitment to geographically defined appellations and includes rules concerning methods of production, varieties permitted, planting densities, training systems, yields, minimum levels of alcohol, length of maturation, um, and it's based on the concept of terroir. So if you think back to the podcast on the States, for example, when we were talking about AVAs, um, there's an awful lot more rule, many more rules and regulations applied to the French uh, appellation system than there are to the American AVAs. In uh, quickly about IGP, 2009 um, saw a change in regulation, and this was largely due to commercial pressure um, from the New World, who were labelling varietally, and France was losing an enormous market share. Um, and the EU agreed to permit the grape variety to be on the label alongside um, alongside the appellation or indeed um, to come out of the appellation and to label varietally. Uh, wine business. Um, so interestingly, in comparison to either Italy or Spain, Spain and Portugal, of course, we looked at yesterday, average vineyard holdings are appreciably larger at around 10 and a half hectares. We think back to Spain and Portugal, where some people are um, growing on sort of um, less than half a hectare. That's that's a, a, a huge difference. Cooperatives remain important for small growers and account for uh, about 40 percent of production. Um, but sadly, in France, wine consumption per capita has been on a steady decline. Um, in, in real terms, we're drinking about half as much as we did a century ago. 
Uh, you could argue that water quality is better and there is far more choice than there was a century ago as well. But, um, you know, let's not let facts get in the way of a good story there. Uh, three quarters of volume sales are through small to medium sized local companies or private label. Um, so in other words, the sector is, 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 is widely uh, fragmented. You've got a couple of uh, large distributors, uh, the Castel Frères, 12% of total volume sales, big supermarket chains like Carrefour, and uh, companies like ITM and Entreprise. Um, France, generally speaking, exports less in volume than either Italy or Spain, but they achieve more in the way of price, uh, double the value of Italian wines and treble the average of Spanish wines. Uh, France is also, interestingly, um, a huge importer of wines, largely from, from Spain. Um, and this is a source of great annoyance to French producers, but nonetheless, it will continue to happen. I'm sure um, those of you in the industry will have seen a couple of years ago the sort of um, blockades on the A9 motorway of, of uh, cheap Spanish imports where tankers had their taps opened and they managed to flood the motorway. So yeah, France always up for a good protest. So in addition to the introduction, I just want to cover Bordeaux, then I'm going to take a break and we'll do some other regions. But as I said, France is so huge, it's impossible to do in one chunk. So Bordeaux, located in the southwest of France, close to the Atlantic Ocean, which is its uh, primary influence. Um, it's crossed by both the Garonne and the Dordogne rivers, which merge to form the Gironde estuary. To the west of the Garonne and the Gironde is the left bank, and to the east of the Dordogne and the Gironde is the right bank. And broadly speaking, the majority of the vineyards are between the two rivers in an area called Entre-deux-Mers. 90% plantings are of black grapes. And in terms of the breakdown of production, 85% red, 10% dry white, 1% sweet white, 4% rosé. By far and away, the largest plantings are that of Merlot, 60%, 20% Cabernet Sauvignon, 8 of Cabernet Franc, 2% of what they have euphemistically deemed other reds, which I suppose could include things like Petit Verdot, Malbec, or Cot as they call it, um, you know, Carmenere, other permitted uh, Bordelais varieties. 5% Sauvignon Blanc, 5% Semillon, and 1% of Muscadel. So key developments in Bordeaux's history, um, the 17th and 18th centuries, uh, the large Medoc Peninsula, which is north of the city of Bordeaux, was drained by the Dutch, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, um, by the Dutch residents living in Bordeaux. And by the mid-18th century, Lafitte and Margot were already widely appreciated across Europe and the USA. Uh, the region gained its reputation through its exports from the port of Bordeaux, as well as the surrounding regions, um, for example, those of, of Bergerac. Um, the result was an entrepreneurial merchant class of British, Irish and the Dutch and Germans, who brokered and distributed the wines of the region and established the reputation of Bordeaux's wines. This system of specialised merchants, um, rather than sort of proprietor-led sales, remains in place uh, to this day. The 1855 Universal Exhibition of Paris, uh, the Bordeaux Chamber of Commerce, asked brokers to compile uh, a wine classification that was based on <laughs> price. Um, 
the sad news is that we've we've um, we've not really moved on in 170 years, and it's still based um, largely on 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 the same ethos. But this um, basically put the estates of Medoc and Aubryon, located in uh, in Grave, uh, into five brands, and Sauterne was classified into three. The 1855 classification had official status and, as I said, remains, broadly speaking, unchanged. There are um, 111,000 hectares planted in Bordeaux, the vast majority of which goes into generic Bordeaux or Bordeaux Supérieur, which are largely inexpensive to sort of mid-price. About 70% of all bottled wines fall into, into those categories. The premium, super premium production represents about 3%, um, so teeny tiny. And to give you some idea um, of, of how that sort of ratio works, remember 110,000 hectares planted. Uh, Pomerol itself is just 800 hectares. So grape growing environment and grape growing. Um, so we're situated here on a moderate maritime climate. Cool Atlantic um, lies to the west of the vineyards. In good years, that supplies gentle heat and sufficient rain for good growth and ripening. Um, in bad years, the place gets completely battered and nothing will ripen correctly. Um, again, in good years, relatively um, warm, dry autumns allow for steady ripening, which will uh, eventually result in balanced tannins, sugar, acidity. Um, and this obviously is is fundamental to the longevity of the of the great great vintages. But you know when it's wrong, it's it's badly badly wrong. Uh, the left bank is partially protected from the Atlantic storms by the Land Forest. Um, you've got estates like uh, Domaine de Chevalier in Léognon, uh, and many in Listrac in the Medoc, which are cooler and therefore more marginal than its neighbours uh, to the east. In the northern Medoc, the forest is less of an influence and it is more maritime and therefore cooler than the southern Medoc and, um, and also the Grave. Rainfall is variable, uh, averages about 950 mils per annum, but with marked variation. And the effects of excessive rain at key moments can, of course, do things like interrupt fruit set, um, high incidence of fungal problems and disease pressure interrupt um, harvest and result in dilute flavours, disease pressure, unripe fruit, you know, it's it's the same all over the world, but I guess in moderate maritime climates, marginal, especially marginal ones, um, obviously these are, these are key to the quality of the overall vintage. Uh, climate change, it is leading to hotter, drier summers, um, and at the moment the native varietals are coping, but in like super hot years, like 2003 for example, um, acidity was low, the wines were out of balance, and the alcohol was also out of whack, it was a much higher potential alcohol. So on the right bank there's less of a maritime influence um, in, a, in the region which is broadly called the Libournais covers Saint-Emilien and Pomerol, um, but it does remain a factor. Um, here you've got the potential for frost damage instead, so you know, you're never out of the woods. In the Medoc, the most prestigious wines are close to the Gironde estuary, which offers a moderating influence, of course, um, and also protection from frosts. Uh, <laughs> 
geography is so key here it's 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 really difficult to to un, to overstate how important so if you've got vineyards that are close to the estuary they can have complete frost protection a mile or two to the west and you can be pretty much wiped out hail sporadic but increasing in prevalence um, over the past decade with the overall change in, in global climate um, just a quick statistic in terms of vintage variation uh, impact on volume 2017 which was renowned across France as the you know the year of the late late spring frost that's a 33% loss of yield um, against a 10-year average and 40% down on the uh, 2016 bumper uh, vintage um, so you know it's not not to be underestimated the the impact of, of weather on yield so let's talk a little bit about soils which are a major influence and in, in contributing factor to quality so the left bank in other words the medoc to the north of bordeaux and uh, grave to the south Gravel, stony soils carried down from the Pyrenees in the Massif Central thousands of years ago. Gravels mixed with clay, sand and minerals and gravel mounds are still fairly low um, and don't cover the whole region. What we're talking about in terms of altitude is almost negligible, about 32 metres. Um, hardly seems um, worth it, although it does play a part. Um, all of the top estates are left bank and planted on gravel soil mounds, uh, which are called croup. C-R-O-U-P-E-S. Because gravel drains well, even after heavy rain, ripening carries on. And in very hot years, notably 03 and 05, um, this excellent drainage actually put the vines into drought stress, which in a moderate maritime climate is almost unbelievable. Um, but notably where, where the soils were, were shallow. Gravel also retains heat and the stones and pebbles retain warmth and slowly release it back up to the vines, which facilitates slow ripening. So um, this is key, obviously, in Bordeaux, also key in places that we've yet to talk about. But I'm thinking notably of uh, New Zealand with um, gimlet gravels and things like that. There are also pockets of clay on the left bank, especially around Saint-Estephe. Um, and what this does is it tends to produce wines that are more robust in character um, and, and they lack the acclaim and arguably some of the finesse of the wines grown on, on gravel. On the right bank, the amount of clay um, is, is quite high, although there are gravel patches um, in, th distributed throughout the, the Libournais area. Merlot likes this um, and ripens well most vintages. It it, um, it also can deliver more sugar and therefore more alcohol than either Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc. Best wines come from a limestone plateau on gravel sections um, that border onto Pomerol. So on the, uh, on the uh, Pomerol and Saint-Emilion side there, we've got uh, Merlot, early budding, mid-ripening, susceptible to coulure, drought, botrytis bunch rot, um, <laughs> fraught with difficulties as per usual uh, all of these hazards can reduce yields um, but the good news for Merlot is that it is able to ripen even in cooler years compared to later, later ripening grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon dominant on the right bank um, 
and it's quite happy uh, in water retaining cooler soils like the clay found on the right bank. It produces large berries, um, higher alcohol than either of the Cabernets, medium to pronounced intensity fruit, strawberry, red plum, herbaceous in cooler years, cooked blackberry, black plum in hot years, medium tannins, medium to high alcohol. Quick, um, quick recap of Merlot there. Do the same for Cabernet Sauvignon. So late budding, which uh, is good in terms of frost protection. It produces small, thick-skinned berries, high tannin content, but it is prone to fungal diseases, powdery mildew and trunk diseases like Utipa and Esca. Uh, it's late ripening, therefore it needs the warmer gravel soils as opposed to the clay soils of the right bank. But it is vulnerable to autumn rains. Uh, produces the highest quality fruit on warm, well-drained soils like the gravels of Medoc. What does it give? Violet, black currant, black cherry, that typical menthol character, sometimes a herbaceous flavour, medium alcohol, high acidity, high tannin. In cooler years when Cabernet struggles to ripen, it can still have high acidity but unripe tannin and very little fruit. That's principally why it gets blended with Merlot. Cab Franc, it's all about the red fruit, high acidity and medium tannins. Malbec, um, has all but disappeared, replanted mostly or replaced mostly with Merlot, which is much easier to um, um, to grow and to ripen. Uh, Petit Verdot, early budding, ripens even later than Cabernet Sauvignon, which is why it's proved unpopular in the past because of the frost risk, difficulties in ripening, and um, it's also got high rain damage potential. Does do best in the warmer pockets of the Medoc, um, usually or rarely rather contributes more than than five percent of an overall blend but does contribute power structure deep color spice high tannins um, it is increasingly valued though as a varietal in bordeaux especially as temperatures start to rise overall so it's becoming slightly less of a pain in the ass to grow uh semillon pain in the ass by the way not an official uh observation just mine uh semillon is mid-ripening uh onto the whites rather so semillon mid-ripening susceptible to botrytis and to noble rot it can very happily carry high yields it's got light intensity apples lemons can be grassy if it's underripe medium body medium to medium plus acidity in high quality dry bordeaux it has low to medium intensity aromas and medium acidity and it's often used to um I'm going to sort of uh, use the French word entre guillemets, which is in quotes. It use, it's used to temper um, Sauvignon Blanc's intense flavours and high acidity. So it's a little bit of a calm, it calms things down a little bit. It's got a strong affinity with oak and can take vanilla and sweet spice uh, extremely well. Uh, in botrytis affected wines, it gives a honeyed and dried fruit character um, and a waxy texture. It's more susceptible to botrytis than Sauvignon Blanc and therefore tends to be a higher percentage in the blends of the top sauternes like Chateau Clémence and, and Ikem. It's renowned and prized for its ageability. It develops toast and honey notes with age, unlike Sauvignon Blanc, which has the ability to hold but not really evolve. Um, so Sauvignon Blanc um, contributes grassy gooseberry fruit, high acidity, 
to dry white blends and to sweet botrytis affected wines. Muscadel, while that needs well exposed sites um, as it's prone to botrytis bunchrot, it's mostly used in sweet wines where it offers flowery grapey notes. Please note it's not related to muscat. Okay, so vineyard management. Traditionally top quality vineyards, densely planted, 10,000 vines per hectare, one meter spacing, one meter between rows. Um, and it's suitable for relatively infertile soils and gives moderate vigor. But close planting does add to cost and more plants and more trellising and more tractor equipment. So you can see where the, the costs are being built into the finished product here. Vineyards in le oh, sorry, vines in lesser vineyards are planted at lower densities. Um, the most common training method is cane pruning along a wire. On the left bank, two canes are trained double guio. On the right bank, single guio is more common. Cordon spur is rare, although it can be found particularly in prestigious estates which favour it because it has improved aeration. Bordeaux, Bordeaux's moderate damp climate is an absolute crucial factor in canopy management uh, with the aim of reducing incidence of downy and powdery mildew and botrytis bunch rot. So a lot of leaf removal takes place during the summer. This is intended to improve aeration and deter rot. Um, and it also exposes the grapes to UV light, which um, assists in ripening. Um, as previously mentioned, talking about um, trunk diseases, Utipa and Esca have become a serious problem. And basically what they do is they rot the vine from inside out. Um, soft pruning has become popular and successful. Um, Flavescence dorée, well, that's another problem that can be contained using insecticides, although synthetic insecticides are problematic um, in the face of the interest in uh, growing interest in organic and biodynamic farming. Leaf removal on one or both sides of the row, that's becoming um, a, quite a thing as well. But you have to take care not to remove too many leaves, otherwise you end up with sunburn and raisining. Uh, some domains will, will actually wait until the ripening process is, is well underway before they choose what to remove. Um, around 20 years ago, approximately, bunch thinning became approved, either by hand or by machine. And this may correct the high yield and improve flavour concentration. It's now less popular and there is an argument which suggests that a shorter winter prune is a better way of controlling yield um, and produces an overall more balanced wine. So just a few observations here. Yields have decreased over the past 20 years, now averaging about 50 hecto. This is a good thing for the wines. Um, the fashion for super low yield, jammy, concentrated wines particularly from the right bank, is thankfully in decline. Uh, historically, harvest dates were pretty random and tended to be too early, resulting in green underripe flavours, or too late, resulting in the jammy concentration, with very few being bang on time. But nowadays, harvests last longer, pickers are expected to stay for long periods. Um, the downside of that is that if you're lodging them and feeding them, um, that's yet another additional cost that has to be factored into the final cost of the wine. Um, parts of the northern Medoc have a real problem recruiting pickers. Um, 
but especially, especially as it's, it's, you know, we forget how difficult, not difficult, how challenging it can be, I guess, to get around Bordeaux. Um, Northern Medoc is a two hour drive from, from Bordeaux. Um, people don't, people don't want to drive two hours to get to work at five o'clock in the morning. So more and more vineyards are becoming uh, mechanically harvested. And this can be a benefit if, you know, um, a change of weather threatens harvest. You know, if you've got the risk of fungal disease or an incoming storm or rain, um, mechanical harvesting, you know, whips those grapes in quick and, and, and can potentially save your, save your harvest. Grapes for high volume, inexpensive wines are typically machine picked. Um, but top estates routinely picked by hand, which, of course, offers uh, an additional element of quality control. So... Talk a little bit about winemaking. The level of sorting varies according to the value of the wine and the quality of the vintage, if we're being fairly brutal about it. Grapes for gener generic inexpensive wines are not routinely sorted. Um, grapes for the higher qualities will be hand sorted, first of all by the pickers and then subsequently on a sorting table or at very high-end properties in um, optical, optical sorting machines. Many properties are moving towards plot-by-plot plot vinification, um, picking optimal ripeness and doing small batch vinification. Um, what this means is you're going to have to have lots more small tanks, um, which means much more additional investment and cost. So everything here is pointing towards you know, final cost of wines. Just a little sidebar about um, why some vineyards um, use selected yeasts and also inoculate for, for mallow. It's principally because top quality wines are first tasted by journalists and critics and wine buyers in the spring that follows the harvest. So a lot of estates will inoculate to guarantee a fermentation and to put the wines through quick mallow um, so that they've got a finished product to show. They can also do this by heating heating the cellars as well just to make sure that the mallow kicks in. Um, simpler wines can just be tank or cuvee for four to six months um, and you know oak chips that happens in Bordeaux too but high quality wines are you know French barriques. Often a blend of one, two or three year old or third use barrels is, is popular. Some super premium properties only use 100% new oak. But this, as we mentioned before, is, is starting to, to drop back to, to more um, moderate levels. So it doesn't feel like you're being you know, hit with a brick bat. Um, Choice of cooperage, some domains work exclusively with, with one cooper, um, others prefer uh, a range of coopers. I guess this is a little bit, you can, you can sort of draw a parallel with um, a spice, you know, a spice rack when you're cooking. If you've got one cooper, perhaps that one spice does everything you need it to do in the dish that you're making, but perhaps you want a choice of two or three, um, and you might prefer a a range of toast levels from you know low to uh, medium plus or even high so it, it's a it's a domain wine making choice a wine maker style choice wines are generally in barrel 18 to 24 months depending upon quality but wines with greater concentration and higher tannins may need longer than 
than the rest. Widely accepted, wines are racked off every three months traditionally. Um, some producers obviously will choose to leave theirs on, on, on the lees longer. It's, it's a choice relating to the additional oxygen exposure of, of, of racking. So it is a choice. On to blending. So if you're presenting en primeur, wines will typically be blended over the winter. Um, that effectively deselects wines, which will end up as the estate's second or third label or sold off in, in bulk. My, the minority of estates will blend just a few months before bottling and the argument being that it's an accurate assessment of a wine um, or a lot's um, evolution. The majority of top estates employ winemaking consultants who assist in the blending process. That's uh, largely speaking it for reds. Rosés, they do make um, two styles. Uh, the traditional saignet or claret, which is a deeper coloured, more traditional style, and a lighter coloured rosé, which is generally made by direct press, mostly made from Cabernet and Merlot, and usually made from uh, more juvenile vines. You've got options on whites, so you can either do an immediate press, which will give maximum freshness, or you can leave the whites on skins for 24 hours or so, and this will give you a more aromatic um, and phenolic complexity to the finished wines. But if you're doing that, the grapes have got to be completely healthy, um, otherwise you'll end up with off, off flavours in the finished product. Uh, wines intended for early drinking, so plan A, the immediate press, cool ferments, stainless steel, inexpensive examples can be kept in tank for just a few months, clarified and then bottled and then hit the shelves. Mid-price might be left on lees for 6 to 12 months, which will add weight um, and complexity. And the higher quality ones, which are often barrel fermented and aged with a varying percentage of new oak, um, they may block mallow to retain freshness and acidity. They may employ things like batonnage to enrich and add body. Um, but they have to be careful with this one because in hot years, and, and we're getting more and more of them, Batonnage um, should be a little bit more judiciously employed. Um, otherwise, you up the body and, and the acidity balance is, is out of whack. So, you know, they have to be a little bit more careful with that. You've got two key players in the production of white Bordeaux's, um, André Lerton and Denis Dubordieu who really were the champions of Sauvignon Blanc skin contact and the reduction in the percentage of new oak. So two names to just keep in mind there. André Lerton's probably the easiest to remember because he's all over Bordeaux. Uh, sweet wines, low yields, uh, typically one third the yield of a still wine uh, harvest and that's to ensure high sugar. You prune to a low number of buds you get rid of all fruit showing signs of disease or damage and there is a limit of 25 hecto which to be perfectly frank is almost never achieved in the top appellations um, sort of 10 to 12 is much more uh, the norm and that of course has an impact on price because not only have you got teeny tiny yields you've got a teeny tiny amount of juice so um, that's why you've got uh, and a, an enormous amount of labour cost involved as well. 
Harvesting, it's got to be uh, manual and it requires a high level of skill because pickers have got to be able to tell the difference between noble rot and grey rot and black rot. Um, the vendage may require multiple passes to select um, botricized bunches and berries and the harvest runs from September through to November. So just talking about sweet wine quality, final level of botrytis depends upon correct conditions, which do vary from year to year. The position of the estates, in other words, their proximity to mists. The willingness to wait versus the risk of losing the entire crop. And the willingness to pay for multiple passes. Results, well, wines baby made with a varying percentage of botricized and late harvest fruit. So once picked, the grapes are treated much the same as dry whites. In other words, they're fermented in stainless steel, concrete or barriques and then aged in stainless steel, concrete or barriques. But top quality are typically barrel fermented for the best integration of fruit and wood. You do have a high percentage of new oak happening in Bordeaux sweet wines. 18 to 36 months aging, gentle oxidation, um, Going back to the amount of, of new wood that's used, it could be between 30 and 50%, but chateaus like Ikem use 100%. And of course, this also impacts the cost. Um, I'm trying to relate all of this back to sort of quality, style and price. Um, whether I'm achieving it or not, you'll have to let me know. Um, but that's the aim of the game here. So that is more or less what we've got on winemaking. Need to talk very briefly about um, generic appellations. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna skim over this because, to be honest with you, if what we're looking for is a pass or a merit, I'm not entirely sure that these statistics are of crucial importance. But I'm gonna lay them out for you anyway. Um, Bordeaux AOC, 65 hecto for white, 62 hecto for rosé, 60 hecto for red. What does this mean? Wines with low flavour concentration. Bordeaux Superior comes down a little bit, 59 hecto. Um, that's for red, of course. Um, but these two, these two broad appellations, Bordeaux Superior and Bordeaux AOC, make up 50% of the whole of Bordeaux's production. So, you know, that's that's kind of important in, in, in terms of um, uh, how you perceive the production of Bordeaux. So, left bank red wine appellations, Medoc and the Omedoc, left bank of the Gironde Estuary, north of Bordeaux, red wine only in appellation, maximum yield 55 hectares. It can be sold from mid-June, the year after harvest, Roughly equal plantings of Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, the Omedoc um, has got individual com communes, which we'll talk about in a second. Soils are gravelly, warm, well-drained, and wines labelled as Medoc or Omedoc come in a wide range of prices and quality levels. The Omedoc is the location of the famous four single commune appellations, Saint-Estève, Poyac, Saint-Julien and Margaux. They are adjacent to the Gironde Estuary, which acts as its moderating influence with a high percentage of gravel soils, which aid um, particularly Cabernet to ripen. All four appellations are for red wine only. Maximum yields are lower at 57 hecto. Typically pronounced intensity, black currant, but you can have green bell pepper and cooler vintages, red plum, vanilla, cedar notes, 
medium to high alcohol, high tannins, medium plus body, and generally very good to outstanding in quality and premium to super premium in price. Santistev is the most northerly and therefore the coolest um, and of the four um, famous four, uh, located to, closest to the Atlantic, 40% Merlot, um, which is the highest of the four, as it ripens successfully and suits the heavier, colder clay soils away from the estuary. 50% Cabernet grows best on the gravel soils because of the estuary. Um, and because of its cooler climate, wines have a bit of a reputation for being a bit rustic but um to be frank it's all a bit relative um, and wines may need longer in the bottle to soften the tannins uh, where grown on warmer soils and or pockets of soils wines are softer or where there is a higher percentage of merlot in the blend of note the clay soils of santistef have been a distinct advantage in recent hot years so well done santistef for um being ahead of the curve on, on that one. Uh, but there are no first growths, there are a couple of second growths and lots and lots of cru bourgeois um, in Saint-Estef. Uh, Poyac uh, has the highest percentage of Cabernet at 62%, uh, often on the gravel banks of the estuary, which facilitates full ripening. Many of the top estates have as much as 70 to 80% Cabernet Sauvignon in blend, and they're wines of high concentration and great longevity. They're reputed to be the most structured wines of the left bank with high tannin, high acidity and great capacity for age. There are three first growths. Um, around 85% of the production is Cru Class A. So that gives you an idea of why you pay so much for Poyac. Saint-Julien, a uh, high percentage of Cabernet, high percentage of Cru Class A production. Um, it's got homogeneous gravel soils stylistically regarded as sort of the halfway house between the power and the structure of Poyac and the finesse of Margot, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's got no first growths, but five second growths. Margot has one first growth and a high percentage of Cru Classe. It's got a little bit more Merlot than Cabernet. Uh, it's got stony and gravelly soils. It's slightly farther south. Um, when I say slightly, we're talking about ripening a day or two ahead of Poyac. But as much of, as much as ten days ahead of, of northerly Medoc, which is advantageous in cooler years or if, if rains are threatening uh, harvest, you've got clay seams, uh, which sometimes require supplementary drainage, which of course then also adds to cost. But Margot's reputation is for perfumed wines and silky tannins. Makes you want to go out and buy some. So Listrac Medoc uh, and Mouli. Uh, also red wines only, they're farther from the river, from the river estuary, than the famous four, so they get less benefit from the estuary's moderating influence, there is less gravel soils, but they have the same rules as the four single communes, um, but they are permitted to release their wines earlier. Typically good to very good and medium to premium priced, so potential for a bit of good value for money purchasing there. Um, and I want to talk about Grave, which is um, for red and for white, slightly more white than red uh, in terms of permitted yields. So 58 hecto for, for white, 55 hecto for red, um, but it's mostly red production, 85% um, red production, in fact. Stretches from the city of Bordeaux to, to the south. Uh, Grave Superior AOC is restricted to late picked and or botrytis affected sweet wines. 
Most Grave is acceptable to good and inexpensive to mid-price. And a lot of it, I have to say, is quite delicious. Uh, but inside Grave is this weird little um, sub-compact appellation AOC Pesac Léonion, which has got gravelly soils, which has got the moderating influence of the Garonne and is known for super high quality, often barrel fermented, aged reds and whites. 80-20 red to white. And it has, of course, got um, uh, one first growth uh, in Aubryon. Uh, reputation for the best whites in Bordeaux. Uh, whites are typically Sauvignon, Semillon blends. Typically very good to outstanding and premium to super premium in price. Reds are similar in style and price to the famous four. So that's Pessac for you. Um, I spectacularly misidentified a Pessac Léonion red in my last exam. Uh, <laughs> Entre deux mers AOC is the second largest appellation by size after the generic Bordeaux AOC. Um, and it's an AOC exclusively for whites. Red is produced but um, bottled as Bordeaux or Bordeaux Supérieur. Maximum yield, 65 hecto, low intensity flavours, acceptable to good, inexpensive to mid-priced. Right, bank appellations. Right, nearly there, folks. Many small estates, some as small as one hectare. Merlot is the dominant grape. Cool clay soils. Cabernet Franc likes it there as well. Um, Cabernet Sauvignon is the sort of third grape of the region. The two... Uh, Grand Cru, uh, Saint-Emilion, Saint-Emilion Grand Cru are for red wine only. They actually sit geographically on the same area. Yields are slightly different within Saint-Emilion itself, uh, 53 hectares and uh, requires six months maturation. Saint-Emilion Grand Cru, 46 hectares and requires 20 months maturation. So those are two of the key um, stats there for Saint-Emilion. Um, Saint-Emilion's classification sits, system sits completely separate from the 1855 classification. Um, there's a wide range of quality from simple, easy drinking wines um, to wines that are comparable to the first growth Grand, Grand, Grand Cru Class A wines of, of, um, of the left bank. Top wines have pronounced red and black, plum fruit, noticeable vanilla, clove, um, thanks to the new oak, full body, high alcohol, medium plus to high acidity, medium plus to high tannins. Um, because of high fruit concentration, high acidity and tannin, the best wines are capable of great ageing. You've got a couple of Saint-Emilion satellites, um, four of them in fact, which are close to Saint-Emilion but farther away from the Dordogne River. Um, they operate under the same rules as Saint-Emilion AOC. The, the largest two are Montagne Saint-Emilion AOC and Lussac Saint-Emilion AOC. Okay, Pomerol. Small, prestigious appellation. Red, notably Merlot, 80%. Cab Franc, second most planted. Maximum yields, 49 hecto. There's no classification in existence for Pomerol but there are many top quality estates. So wines are typically very good to outstanding, premium to super premium price. Stylistically, very similar to Saint-Emilion. Um, so just a little sidebar on Pomerol, partly because of the small estate sizes, um, like Petrus, which is less than 12 hectares. Wines can command some of the highest prices in the world, premium to super premium, typically pronounced red and black plum fruit, 
noticeable vanilla, clove, new oak nuances, full-bodied, high alcohol, medium plus to high acidity, medium plus to high tannins, high fruit concentration, high acidity and tannins, the best wines may bottle age for many, many years. So there we go, Pomerol. I'm going to stop um, for 10 minutes, have a cup of tea, um, and then I'm going to come back and we'll do the sweet wine appellations of Bordeaux.